It's another episode of your favorite cryptocurrency podcast, um, blockchain tech. Do you even say blockchain technology anymore? I feel like I don't that's know what not... to say anymore. Like I'm kind of, I'm kind of like, <laughs> I don't know. I'm on the fence on like what the natural word for what we call all this nonsense is. Yeah, I feel like we should just call it all Satoshi's vision, and then that's it, and then continue to oh, bake sued. up the price of sued so fast. <laughs> um that's where we're at, no, we're at. No, no. you'd get sued if you called something satoshi's vision probably yeah i just <laughs> i just feel like it's like you're we're in that weird moment in history where we're a part of something that's obviously a pivotal breakthrough in technology but you don't know like imagine the first caveman they're like what do we call it a we call it a roundy we call it a fucking what do we call this thing i don't know we don't even have a word for circle yet so we're just gonna fucking wheel i don't know let's just make noises until we figure <laughs> this shit out like it's like that but anyways if this is your first time listening to the bitcoin podcast um thank you for tuning in you probably found us through the internet we don't know how this works it's magic um we talk about all things crypto uh we know the name is the bitcoin podcast but you'll find out there's quite a bit of history behind this podcast so stay tuned um who are today, you who are you huh who are you Oh yeah, my name is my name is Dimitric. Uh, nice I'm, to meet I'm you, a, Dimitric. Nice to meet you, uh, uh, Corey. Uh, oh yeah, I'm the host that talks first. D. I forgot to uh, the other host, Dr. Corey Petty, and we're going to talk about a bunch of crypto stuff and not crypto yep. stuff. That's how we Maybe. do. So I don't know. So I wanted to talk like so. I think last last week we talked about adoption. Or oh, that was probably the prior week. And or all like, the weeks. It's all the weeks. It's just like a main theme of the show. And it's just weird that like everything that we said would happen is happening. But it's like we're fighting the happening of it. That's fine. Uh, I, I don't know what you mean by that. You said you said that before we started. I didn't know what you mean by it then. I don't know what you mean by it just now. What do you mean? For example, I said that you know, um, many moons ago, we said that, um, you know, mining is going to get to a point where we're going to see really strange entities getting into the mining game because it now is a path to profit for them. Right. And we, we talked about a month ago or a month and a half ago about like certain states in Russia are like saying state sanctioned mining hooking hooking it straight up to the nuclear power plant uh, so the, 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 the nuclear power plant was commoditizing mining 
Yeah, and then in Iran, they're basically saying like, hell yeah, mine, mine away, because we don't like sanctions. And that's clearly happening, but there's not much other nation states can do about it at this point. It's just it's just happening. And, you know, in, in the U.S. and Wyoming, there's now two um, municipalities that are sanctioning mining and kind of giving them a free go and giving them money to build more mining farms. And so we're seeing it come out of left field. And then the, and then, you know, for, for 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 just it felt like years of my life, we talked about institutional money coming into the space. And it's here now. It's actually building the foundation of where the price goes now. I didn't know I think, that. What 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 metrics say? What metrics tell you that institutional money is here now? Like why can you say single, why can you say it's here? Month, Every single month, Coinbase releases a blog that says, like, look at how much our institutional volume is growing. It's and it's growing. It's growing a lot. It's, it's but growing it's still massively. small. It's like it's still small. Like, don't be wrong. The growth is great. The, like the rate of growth is great. But the overall amount across the entire ecosystem is still really small. It's still a drop in the bucket compared to like traditional finance. Like we we cannot stop realizing that that's the case. We're moving in the right direction. We're yeah. moving there fast, but we're still small. I get that, but right now, comparing our comparing this space to traditional finance is a exercise in futility. I think it's an exercise in futility because that's not the end game of the space. Right now, we're kind of shoehorned into having to compare ourselves to a dollar or a euro or a yuan or a ruble, but that's not the end game of this. That's never been the end game of this. What's the end game? The end game of this is just for this to be the line in the sand that things are compared to. I don't I don't know about that. Why? I mean, why? Because that was the whole impetus of like, hey, we don't need those systems when we could just use Bitcoin. We don't need those systems when there's a network of smart contracts that could usurp those systems. Everything should be compared to this new truth and not that other truth. That that's kind of the end game. If it's not the end game, then this is just a cute side project for somebody like Jeff Bezos to make a lot of money off of. Because if off, that's off. not the end game, that what said off 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 <laughs> off off. Yeah, but, I, I'll give you that. There's a little bit of that in terms of like eventually, hopefully, this becomes the standard that people build on and and, and relate themselves to, including um, fiat like nation state currencies. Yeah. And I, I believe that's already happening. Like you see, like, remember we interviewed the guy uh, that built the decentralized market or decentralized um, exchange. And he said that the, the coolest thing happening for us right now is that small nations are actually using the lightning network to finance themselves. And we can call we can be, excuse me, we can be elitist and say it's microfinance, but they're doing these transactions at, sub satoshi to get a few dollars in their pocket to fucking buy bread like that's that's an inkling of what we spoke to yeah many many moons ago and it just doesn't feel right like i know institutional money's in there jim and i just hooked up with trading view which is like okay if you're one of those guys that wears the three-piece suits and does coke in the bathroom at lunch you're probably using <laughs> trade you're probably using trading view <laughs> Like, and don't get me, I'm not judging you for doing coke. I understand looking at that many numbers, 
you you gotta be spry. You gotta eat a nice bagel and some coke to, to get your done, job done well. But I was just saying that everything we spoke of is now here, and I don't think everything is. It's, it's not starting everything. to be here. Um, why do you feel like we're fighting it? You said that earlier. Like, why are we like? What makes you think we're fighting it? Because I don't. It's like, for example, we we ranted and raved about side chains. We got them now. They're going. But then everybody's like, "Oh, that's a fucking federated blah giddy blah giddy blah. That's a piece of shit." And I'm like, "It's not though. There's like five major exchanges doing very high volume." Bitcoin transactions in that sidechain that is auditable. Now, yes, it's federated, but that's literally something we ranted and raved about, and it's here and it's working. And now people are like, "Well, man, it's like so, they're arguing that school buses are painted yellow and not blue." And it's like, "Fuck, you guys wanted school buses, so it was safer for the kids. They're all one color, but you're mad because they're blue and not yellow. What the fuck?" So and then, it's a little over the top. I would say there's a there's a few things that contribute to that. One is um, like this ridiculous infighting that's happening between everyone that's inside the space based on what project they're on against the projects that do something similar in a slightly different way, but basically covering the same issue. And this like the the venom that gets spread that gets that's that's under the guise of trolling, but it's really just, you know, us versus them mentality of everyone trying to do the same thing. I feel like most people who are like deep in the weeds have who like and, the, and those people who are deep in the weeds end up becoming a lot of like the people other people a new entrants look up to and end up being influencers whether they want to or not. And there's just like venomous us versus them infighting that's that's detrimental to the space as a whole and over time i think people have lost a lot of the like initial ideology of why we're doing this or what the end goal was and they make compromises and concessions to try and get something out the door and in that marketing push go a little hyperbole with what they're offering as opposed to like what they're really doing and and eventually the technology will get better so that it'll make them obsolete too. Like a lot of, I think a lot of the things we have now is because um, the technology doesn't scale well enough. Um, it's not fast enough. We don't have the innovations yet to like do it the way we want to. And so we make these interim companies that do it the way we can. That makes a lot of compromises. Like for instance, just like Coinbase is so big because most of the technology doesn't scale. And so you have to have these these centralized things that sit on top that allow the people who want to use this stuff to use it at the convenience they want, but at a more constrained set of like trust and like mm-hmm. delegated responsibility, stuff like that. And we're like, well, that's not that's not what I signed up for when I joined Bitcoin. And then the people who are coming in, it's like, well, I joined Bitcoin to make money. Who gives a shit? And so it's getting bigger and you're getting more people who have different different views or cares and mixed with people building things that make concessions because they have to to make, get something out the door and then they're OGs that are trying to build something that 
doesn't make concessions, but it doesn't work very well. But they have a bunch of funding from early days, and they're like, well, what are you doing? Like, and there's so many different things going on, but it's gotten so much bigger. And I, like, if we were to look back at when we started, I like, if we were to had all of this back then, maybe we would have been right when we were saying, like, it's just around the door. Like, adoption's just around the door. We were saying that when we started. Like, adoption's about to happen, guys. It's just right there. We're almost there. Just a few more things. And it's been five years, and we're still like, ah, eh, we're actually really, really early. Yeah. Like, we're so far away. It's it's the things that get adopted. This is one of the things that I've I've finally come to peace with, is, like, the things that get adopted have a ridiculous a torrential amount of funding like yeah. let's just think about it like crypto the Wright brothers there was this there was this camp there was a posse like down the street from the Wright brothers doing the same thing but the Wright brothers older sister was basically financing their entire marketing campaign literally created a newspaper just to talk about their shit and distributed it within the cities and this uh, these other dudes were like well fuck man like we could fly too like we're doing the same shit. Where'd you learn and that? Then, Where'd you learn that? I had to watch a documentary on it when I was in college. When I was <laughs> getting my engineering degree, we had to write a documentary and, and report. Because, you know, there's always that one professor that's like, you will watch a movie about my fucking hero and write a report about it so I can stay in tune with my core values. You will know my hero. Year <laughs> I'll do the same thing. We're going to be writing book reports on fucking Bruce Lee. And like, but you're teaching a class on finance. You shut the fuck up. Bruce Lee knows everything about finance. Read, watch the documentary. Um, but like, um, and then again, the same thing basically happened with Nikola Tesla and Thomas Edison, right? The same exact thing. Thomas Edison bodied him out because of marketing and money and the government. Like Thomas Edison was a fucking politician, bro. He was like, yo, I got this new electricity thing. Well, how about this? And, uh, the thing that spawned everything we're talking about didn't do that what do you mean bitcoin it didn't have all the crazy marketing and backing to get to be the thing that's mainly adopted in this entire space that's very true it's actually the first thing in history well one of the first things in history that that is probably the case like it's almost the exact opposite that's very true so it also had to be like a, a reversion well, I just maybe. think once it's got to a certain point, everything that builds off of it kind of goes back in the old ways because like that's a there's I don't think there's anything in the cryptocurrency space that will redo what Bitcoin did because the cat's out of the bag, right? Like mm -hmm. you can't you, you can't redo proof of work that way. It's going to get co-opted too early because there's too much attention and understanding and experience and and, and money in this space to not co-opt mm -hmm. it. If there's a bit of, because you could have, you could have easily screwed things up in the early days if there was enough money, attention, and resources and dedication to doing that. Mm -hmm. Now there's not. Yeah, now, now you can't. I've do been it. privy to, I've been privy to some shady conversations in this space at, at a at a conference, especially the Miami BTC conference, where I met up with this group of quote unquote miners evangelistic miners they call themselves and all they were doing was pre-mining the shit out of a proof of work chain and then selling everybody a small portion of the holdings and i was like 
That's pretty fraudulent. That's oh. <laughs> I can I can guarantee that's been the case on basically everything else that's ever happened. That is whack as fuck. And I think you're right. Like that is the one differentiator is that Bitcoin started for quote quote unquote purely. Yeah. Let's just say that. Um and so did Ethereum. Uh, it's like when people bend uh, over there's backwards. arguments there's arguments to Ethereum in terms of um what's what's colloquially known as the pre-mine. Mm-hmm. And I'm I'm digging it, into that. Like I'm digging into a lot of the details on who got what, why they got it, and what's happened to it since. Um it's not as pretty as like like nothing is as pretty as the egalitarian beginning of Bitcoin and then the subsequent like blocking of the majority of the coins that did those mining. Like if, if Soshi was Soshi was still around, you could be damn sure he'd be carrying weight based on all the coins that he owns. But mm-hmm. he disappeared and so did, and the coins yeah. never moved. Probably and because health and he died. That's my opinion. I think to to add on to your point, like I think that we as humans love patterns and crypto is going to follow the same pattern that we've imprinted on it. At least when it comes to finance, it's going to follow the same pattern of there's going to be shitty, shitty shit that has low value. (laughs) And there's going to be a wide swath of mid range things. And then there's going to be these top tier and top tier cryptos like Bitcoin, Bitcoin, uh, basically everything that's getting on Coinbase and Gemini. That's going to be your blue chips. Let's just call them blue chips. I think people have words with like high cap, mid cap, low cap, whatever. Pink sheets. And that's just going to be that, man. If you fuck around in the pink sheets, you're going to be like me in undergrad and invest in an oil company that doesn't exist. And then... <laughs> And oh, it's, dude! It's what was that? What was that? Uh, what was that thing that we tried to invest in in the early, early, early days? Like Bumblebee, or what was that thing? It was a. Uh, it, 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 God, what was that called? Some type of investment platform where you could put money on certain things, and it, like, the whole thing was just a whole. Shit it wasn't that like um, the uh, gold investment or. No, I'm thinking it was the uh, Zeke's rewards or some shit like that. No, no, no. That. This is crypto. I'm talking about crypto. We did Zeke rewards. That's for sure. Oh, my coming. God. You're talking about, oh, the, the, B, the, the, the B bank or whatever yeah, it was. Yeah, yeah. What was that on? Greece. Um, That was a Bitcoin thing. I, I'm trying to figure out. I, th- I think you're right. It was called like Bumblebee. Bumblebee it, either way, like this is not the first time scams have been around. Um, yeah, they've been man. around since Bitcoin was not even big. Like when we got in, there were hundreds, hundreds of literal clones of Bitcoin. I remember mining like alien coin and Mars coin and uh, digital coin and digi. There's all kinds of things that we mined to try and like yeah. arbitrage to sell for Litecoin and Bitcoin and things like that. And they were all trying to pitch themselves like every week on why they're going to take over Bitcoin. And they were literally just clones. Change a few parameters to say they didn't have like like Dogecoin was this one is, of these that somehow survived based on their community. I think this is what I would like to happen. Not an offense to anyone, but I think the marketers should take a step back from this. 
And just like, there's so many good things happening in this space. But the moment somebody tries to celebrate their win, another camp comes in and says, oh, I'm going to measure your win on my field. And on my field, that's not a first down. That's just a three-yard gain. But it's like, wait a second. Like, the Lightning Network was something that people, like, rejoiced like a fucking Matrix Reloaded rave. And it's here. And it's slowly growing. It's slowly growing to a point to where those coffee transactions are happening. Here's the thing. Here's the thing with that example. I may be doing exactly what you just said, but like the way the Lightning Network was sold to us originally is not what it looks like today. Yeah. At all. And so like people wanted what they were sold. That's not what they got. And that's I think where a lot of that like complaint comes from. Like that we well, we all, maybe maybe they believed too much in the hype or they overbought what was what people said it could be. And then the expectations were so high. We're like, well, actually, this text really hard. It's going to take a while. Just like basically like how everyone, like if you look at every boom and bust cycle of, of Bitcoin and Ethereum, it's been like, oh my God, we're, we're going to buy now. And then I'm going to have this thing that's going to be worth so much money in one year. It's like, no, 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 no. Like try like 20 years. They're like, well, no, 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 no. You, you said it's gonna it's gonna disintermediate it, disintermediate everything and take away the banks and kill everything. It's like, yeah, maybe eventually, but it's gonna be a while. It's like, no, 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 no. It's gonna happen next month. It's gonna be fine. <laughs> yeah. Sounds like Taco Bell still so went on those fucking nacho fries. <laughs> Liars. No, I mean. I see what you're saying. It's like the expectancy is so high, but then the delivery is so low that it's like, ugh. This stuff is hard. Coming from somebody who has been at like a technical level understanding of everything throughout the entire time and trying to build things, it's really hard to get it right. Especially if you want to maintain like the same ideals and trust and grow a user base that, you know, doesn't understand any of these things and cater to mm-hmm. people who don't get stuff and to, to vent new technology and have people invest in like all these different things is really hard and balanced. And uh, yeah, at the end of the day, people are the, impatient. The exact conversation when you told me like, like I'm, I'm going further than the rabbit hole. I'm, I'm going further down. <laughs> and I was like, it was like watching somebody get on the Titanic, like waving them off at the port. I was like, Oh, he's, He's going down. He's going down to the depths of crypto. <laughs> and where you go, I can't follow, my friend. <laughs> I'll see you on the other side. Yeah. And that's like, I feel like when you're in that deep in the depths of crypto and then looking at, then you come out to the surface and you realize like, oh shit, like not a lot has moved out here. Shit. Like that's kind of like what you guys go through on like a weekly <laughs> I basis. Come up, come up for air and you're like, you're just staring at me, like waiting around. You're like, tell me what you saw. And I'm like, I don't even have the words. What happened here? You're like, <laughs> nothing. <laughs> Every time you go down, you see a new sea creature. You're like, yeah, this one had teeth on its ass. I don't even understand that, but we took a picture. We're going <laughs> to. So like, that's, that's what's happening right now for in crypto. And like, and that's, that's where I get like, even in ether, like, I feel like there's such 
great advancements happening in Ether, and like the the, the Crypto Kitties was. No, I think it's. I think a better analogy to what you just said is like when I come up for air, you're like, "What do you got for me?" You're like, "Oh no, 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 no." Uh, we 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 built the city down there at the at the bottom. That's where everything's going on. It's gonna like you know you need to come down. You're like, I can't go down there. I don't want to go down there. You're like, well, that's where it is. That's where all the stuff is. You're like, no, bring something up for me. You're like, I can't bring anything up to you. It doesn't work up here. <laughs> you're pressure. like, no, but for real, you need to like bring it up here. Otherwise, what what are we doing? You're like, we'll get up here eventually. They're like. You said like uh like next week, right? You're like no 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 no, it's gonna be, it's gonna be a while. You should check out what's going on down here. It's awesome. You're like I don't understand a word what you're saying. <laughs> <laughs> That's pretty much yeah. Those are like our conversations now. I mean, like I just I'm just staying comfortable in my Bitcoin lane. Yeah. Like in in my rudimentary understanding of Ethereum lane and understanding of all the randomness that goes on the Coinbase, which Tezos for real out of the blue Tezos. Like I feel like, yeah, Tezos might have something. I don't know. Yeah, but what I'm getting at is that um, I guess to loop it all back before we get into DeFi, which is this this whole different monster, which is really cool. Which means decentralized finance for those of you that um, aren't tapped in, um, is that we've got a. I think there has to be a and this is just me if you're listening to this right now and you're a crypto quote-unquote crypto power user maybe snip this out and share it with people get some time hop on your computer uh, we have simple casts so you can click on the player on our website and basically snip it out a valuable moment and and this is what i say is that like there has to be more of a conscious effort to like i don't want to say outbot but like these no, these nonsense competitions from chain to chain aren't really helping the community like as a whole like if 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 victories if what community considers a victory can't be celebrated by the community as a whole then you're only as strong as your weakest link and on the outside looking in if all you ever see is like oh that advancement ain't shit oh that 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 breakthrough they just had ain't shit Oh, that that product they just launched ain't shit. Then that's all. That's all that's ever gonna be is the entire spice. It ain't gonna be shit. That's <laughs> it. That's 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 what that means. So, I mean, I know it's trying to. I know there's a lot of. Um, I know that kind of goes against something because I'll shit on Tron on a Tuesday. I don't give a fuck. But like, <laughs> I gotta like. Maybe just maybe if we can just find something that is authentically a win, like I know it's a that we could just not shit on it for just like a day or two. I think it's I don't know. I think most of the wins are great. It's just we can't over celebrate them and say this is what's going to change the world. Just say good job. I'm glad you made progress. I look forward to more. Yeah, and some organization would help. Like. I'm no expert on decentralized organizing, organizing people around decentralization. I don't think anyone is because I think it's quite impossible. But like the interoperability thing, I don't know if that takes off as naturally as we hope without some very concentrated meeting of the minds, some fucking what's that meeting at Elrond to figure some shit out because you've got to have an intermingling of these programming languages if I'm not too far off base there. And if everybody's always off on their own planet doing their own thing, where do you ever get that handshake between the languages 
to to do something that's interoperable. Yeah, that's going to need know? to happen. And with the, the that's that means that the infighting needs to stop, or someone just makes it and it works, despite the infighting. Yeah, I don't know how high probability that second one is. <laughs> Stay tuned. We'll tell you later. <laughs> yeah, in a well, year. Well, anyway, let's cut to the interview. Uh, this interview was with some gentlemen of consensus, Simon and Alex of Liquality, speaking to decentralized finance. Um, if you don't know what finance is, you do if you have a credit card. It's actually a pretty simple premise that we've compounded over eons of fuckery. But like if I if I loan Corey five thousand bucks and I want to make a five hundred dollar profit in a certain amount of time, I divide that five hundred dollars by the time, and I know I have a rate that I can expect to get in return. Boom. That's finance in a nutshell. Of course, some entities take it to the extreme, like the mafia and <laughs> and loan sharks, but that's finance in a nutshell. I'm giving someone money to finance their dreams and return. I make a profit and my money back. That's what it is. So funny enough, like the part of that language negotiation and someone just going out and doing it is a part of what the quality is trying to do. So like let's let's hop to it and let them explain what their vision is for enabling interoperability and, and things like that of decentralized finance or how they put it. I think it's just intermediated finance. All right. Well, here it is. Welcome back to another interview on the Bitcoin Podcast. I'm your host today, Dr. Corey Petty. Uh, D is out, cannot make it with us today. So just going to be me and Simon and Alex from Liquality, um, a project, I guess, centered around uh, DeFi. And we're going to let them kind of explain more about what it does and what problem it solves. But first, we'd like to do the normal thing and kind of allow you to introduce yourself and talk about how you got into like the ecosystem uh, in general. Awesome. Thank you, Corey. Yeah, this is Simon from the Liquality team. Uh, yeah, I, so I, my, my background is in engineering. I, I then got into consulting. So I was doing management and technology consulting. And around 2013, so I'm, I'm originally from Venezuela. And I was, uh, the, the crisis in Venezuela had gotten really, really bad at that point, uh, economic crisis. And so I started looking for options that could help Venezuelans deal with the, insta- the financial instability. And so I came across Bitcoin, uh, went to the first Bitcoin, American Bitcoin conference in Miami, and then uh-huh. uh, you know, f- f- fell, uh, fell deep for it. And so I started trying to do something within, I was at Deloitte at the time, uh, and we started the Deloitte Bitcoin and blockchain community. Uh, we grew it and, and ran it as a team uh, for the next two years. But you know, not a lot of work, uh, good work and, and actual work was happening. And so we, uh, I switched over to Consensus. Uh, Consensus is the largest, you know, blockchain's largest venture studio. Um, and, and we were doing, I was doing consulting there for them and worked with the governments of Dubai and other, other corporations and governments. And then I met Alex uh, and Thessy, our other co-founder. And we started really talking about the problems that we saw in the ecosystem and how we could bring them to, you know, Bring, bring real solutions to solve real problems. And that's how Liquality got started. This was in 
you know, 2017, it started as a research project and it grew into a, a real team, uh, you know, that, uh, that is putting out some pretty important work in our view. Hey, thanks, Simon. What about you, Alex? How'd you get into this space? Yeah, sure. Uh, name's Alex Grizzle, based out of uh, Cape Town, South Africa. Uh, been a professional software engineer for close on 20 years. Uh, had a lot of involvement with the free and open software movement uh, quite early in my career, flipping uh, Windows boxes with Linux boxes. Um, kind of got involved in the Bitcoin space towards mid-2016 after um, exploiting a hole in one of the local South African Bitcoin exchanges here, earning my first Bitcoin. Uh, went down the rabbit hole, quite a like, steep learning curve, uh, started off with consensus, connected up with a couple of uh, brilliant-minded people over there, uh, developing what we call today like liquidity. I think that's uh, come to fruition based off of the learnings, uh, but also a Bitcoin core contributor, uh, as well as writing a book on Bitcoin, which I hope to have published before the end of this year. Oh, nice. Is there a specific um, perspective that book is trying to take that doesn't exist yet? Yeah, in particular, um, a lot of the books that are out there would either give you like kind of a high level uh, view into it. Uh, you might go down some particulars around it, but this book is focused around uh, kind of like recipe or tutorial based information. So actually allowing people to take a particular issue um, and then provide some background as to some implementations within the software and um, how you can use utilities to actually kind of like maintain, manage your own uh, Bitcoin core node, as well as understand the technology within uh, the actual software. Interesting. So uh, before we dive into um, how the liquid quality solves problems, I think it might be interesting to just generally discuss what DeFi quote unquote DeFi is and where it's going. Um, what do y'all want to try and pick that up? Sure. I get, yeah, I sure. Can, Alex, go ahead. Yeah, I think, um, I guess like with any other term in the space, it's quite subjective. Um, in our particular case, uh, and I'll, I'll refer back to kind of like the early writings in the Bitcoin white paper, um, there was a particular emphasis placed there on this intermediation. The, the term mediation actually comes up a couple of times. Um, and the technology, apart from the implementation, uh, aims to solve by removing third parties out of the equation and, and rather leaving, uh, kind of like the, replacing that with, um, with code, right? Um, and I think in terms of a pattern we're seeing in the space at the moment, is we're finding a lot of intermediaries reincarnating traditional business models and utilizing the decentralized nature of these ecosystems to actually just keep re-intermediating themselves on top of decentralized platforms. Um, so to ourselves, I think uh, we actually term it disintermediated finance to kind of distinguish it. Uh, but in terms of decentralized finance, to us it is can you solve for a lot of these problems without adding yourself into the equation? So can you write software uh, that kind of solves for the problem but removes yourself out of the process? And I think at this stage, we're kind of seeing more people favoring using the technology but still keeping themselves as intermediated in the process. Um, 
I think that's kind of like maybe the, the general term that people use uh, to define DeFi, but to us, it's very much on the disintermediated side. Yeah, and if I can add there, uh, I think that something, because I think you wanted a, a little bit of an overview as well uh, for some of your listeners, you know, D what DeFi is trying to, trying to accomplish is a, a more open, uh, more open financial ecosystem. And so the way that that's taking place is that uh, m most of it uh, is being built on Ethereum today is smart contract platforms that interact with one another automatically. Uh, and so you can you can have the same type of uh, models that you had in, in the legacy finance world, like you have exchanges of you know, currency exchanges, you have derivative exchanges, you have lending platforms, uh, except that now they're working together uh, one with the other because everything is, you know, it, you, you, everything can interact. So it's, it's the, the, the benefit, it benefits from the station that has happened at the smart contract level at the, you know, token level for ERC 20, whether, you know, you agree with the, the intentions that, that, uh, that creates, uh, or the printing, you know, the, 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 supply and monetary policy of that what it's doing is really standardizing and and making it easy for these uh, i would say modules of finance to interact with each other and so you have a lot of these different companies that are putting together one piece of the puzzle uh, and you have companies that are aggregating those puzzles uh, uh, those pieces and providing kind of like a single interface into like i said exchange lending and other types of basic uh, finance modules, if that makes sense. Yeah, the way I kind of see it is, I mean, to speak to to both of what you just said, there's there's kind of two avenues here. The first is what's happening, um, and that is people are building what I would consider like financial primitives using smart contracts on mm -hmm. Ethereum for the most part. I mean, eventually we might see um, this movement spread to other network chains when their capabilities are out and open and more robust. But for the most part, it's on Ethereum. And once people build these specific primitives, like things you can do with money um, under some like constrained set of rules, uh, you have other people aggregating these primitives and providing like a single user interface that does, that provides some overall service or a combination of services that, um, used to not exist or replaces what currently does exist, but maybe more efficient or more trustless um, so that they can't be like, like you said, they they're it's not that there's less intermediaries. It's that the intermediaries aren't humans anymore. It's contract code. And that's, I, I feel like that's kind of what you're both touching on is like the focus should be on the um, trustless nature of how we're rebuilding a lot of these financial tools and then it's not only about rebuilding the financial tools we already have in just a quote unquote decentralized way, but doing it, doing more, doing new things that we could previously couldn't do because we always had to trust someone or the constraints of the old system were poor. Is that a good summary of what you both just said? I think so. I think that if you really try to understand, it, it depends on how you look at it, right? But what the, the the reason why this whole movement is was created including bitcoin right was because we were getting to a place where we were starting to see real flaws in the existing system real cracks uh, and so if you're trying to build something that addresses those cracks and 
hopefully you're trying to build it so that it favors uh, you know everyone equally and and not so that it enables you know a particular elite to take over the system then then you have to start thinking about how you built this in a completely censorship resistant way right and and i think that's what bitcoin one of the big one of the things bitcoin got really right mm-hmm. uh, is that there's you know no government or no entity that can stop it uh, and so when you start seeing you know i i think that the, the the goal, the intent of DeFi is 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 uh, you know admirable, uh, but it's it's really important to focus on the details of how things are built, because you start seeing the flaws happening all over again. Like for example, you know you have protocols and and you know exchange protocols that are able to stop. You know one admin is able to, to stop the entirety of the transactions, uh, and and you can ex- if you can extrapolate that to you know, a time and place where, where this becomes important enough that governments, uh, you know, have want, want to have a say and want to manipulate in some way or or or, or censor uh, different people that are trying to serve, then this becomes a real problem, right? And so the the blocks are great. The the block analogy, as long as the blocks and the foundations are are built um, with uh, yeah with with the right uh, architecture, with the right principles uh, in mind. Yeah, I agree with that. Um, a part of that is, in my opinion, due to the nascency of building this stuff. Um, I think the response of uh, the DAO hack happening so long ago has given people, um, they're more careful with how they do permissions over time. And so what tends to happen or the narrative that companies say when they build these things is we're going to start off with a, with permissions until we grow and then we'll relinquish those permissions somehow or another until it's fully autonomous and it works the way we think it should. Um, now, whether or not that happens is a different story or whether or not they should even start off that way, it could be argued. But I feel like that's kind of how people treat it these days is like we're, we're worried that something's going to go wrong because the technology is so new and nascent and changing. Um, we'd like to have the back, like the, the the hatch door, the admin access to pause or do whatever. But in reality, what we're doing is we're just recreating the same situation and then saying we're not going to manipulate things, even though the power's still there. The goal is to make it in such a way where the power to be able to manipulate these things in the hands of very few doesn't even exist. Yeah, I definitely follow through with that. I think there's another difficult part to it, though is to create a profitable business and actually keep yourself sustainable it is very hard to even find a balance in how you do that deployment without adding some form of um, beneficiary function into what you're busy building like be that either through some fee mechanism or some kind of dividend of sorts so generally i mean uh, if you just think of a typical transaction um within the bitcoin network the beneficiary of the transaction is the destination address to which you send that so essentially the transaction that is being issued uh the fundamental kind of like rules of the consensus mechanism honors it on behalf of the two participants in that transaction now if you think of something like a smart contract if you deploy one without any kind of prejudice or admin control built into it as a complementary to it kind of like extends the base consensus rules of the network Mm -hmm. but how you deploy that 
the the actual contract issuer is the first beneficiary of the consensus rules and essentially anything written within that contract depending on on how the rules are written might choose to either deprive or distance the other users from those consensus rules so for example deploying a contract that might extend the chain to do like sha256 hashing that's more of a neutral utility function which is quite difficult to monetize Whereas deploying a contract where you might introduce like ownable properties, um, pausable properties, uh, some kind of whitelisting, blacklisting, essentially the deployer is the first citizen kind of that, that um, gains the benefit of the consensus rules. And the users of those contracts aren't necessarily beneficiaries of the consensus rules anymore depending on the rules of that contract and i think the balance there is because at some stages that deployment tries to enforce some kind of uh, rule that also wants to keep the deployer profitable to actually keep developing a business um and finding those matches like like generally any core contributors etc there is no real financial motivation over and above perhaps the success of the ecosystem going forward whereas if you deploy a contract with a particular decentralized exchange nature it, it, it's kind of like vested in the purpose of the contract and some rules might get written into that 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 benefit the issuer not necessarily the users yeah that's a hard there's a balance here though right because doing this is hard and you can't build complex systems that require kind of, uh, we're not going to say siloed, but scarce knowledge um, based on pure altruism. Like there has to, like someone who builds these systems, provides these services, especially as they get more and more complex, has to be compensated somehow. And it all can't just be in a hope that it works out and a number go up. Like that economics probably won't work. So where's the balance? How do you, how do you do that? Or, 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 or yeah. am I wrong? Well, I think there's quite a lot we can learn from the free and open software movement, because if you have a look at like the introduction of the GNU or free software foundation, um, where the idea is that software should never control the user. The user should always be in control of the software. There are obviously quite a lot of things involved there, where is the user competent enough to actually modify the software? Uh, do they have the freedom to actually outsource that to trusted individuals within their network uh, to be able to take over those controls for them? Uh, but vendor lock-in was obviously quite a big thing with proprietary software. And um, when the free software movement came about, the biggest question on proprietary software vendors' minds, if not everyone, was how do you monetize free software if you're exposing your intellectual property and code and not protecting it through some binary distribution? And I think the answer to how you survive through something like that, we've got a couple of learnings, be that like the, the Red Hat model, where you're not trying to monetize off of this black box that you're distributing, you're rather monetizing off of the services around the solution that you're writing. So be that either uh, some form of corporate that wants to use the software needs service level agreements, while Reddit would provide those service level agreements uh, in compliance with whatever regulation uh, the users of those software might need. Uh, or you might have like training based um, or customization, third party development. And I think in this space, like developing a core enhancement to the system should not be 
necessarily what you monetize, but the products and services you build around that, there's obviously an opportunity. So it requires a bit of a mind shift. Um, and I think a lot of those learnings apply to how we, uh, how we go about doing these things today. I definitely see a lot of value in that. And it also makes you think quite forward in terms of um, what you're building and the consequences of its success and what people may need, like emergent needs based on that success. And and I think doing it that way tends to be much, much more inclusive in terms of access of the technologies to do certain things, but it still puts value on those who have the experience to change, manipulate, like tailor make um, the underlying the underlying things, right? And so, like as a general as a general access, it's great, but you can still maintain the value and the knowledge of building it and and utilize that or provide services um, on top of whatever it is. And that's kind of the goal, I think, of a lot of the like of the I guess good decentralized projects is to is to try and distribute the overall value, but still maintain value in the process of of understanding and building it and knowledge and experience. And that's a it's a really hard balance to do. It's something I've I've struggled with myself in terms of trying to build something. Mm. Yeah, I'll maybe give you an example. I mean, um, having been in software development for 20 odd years, I used to work for a, a enterprise resource planning software vendor out here in South Africa. And um, I think this was during the early 2000s, um, kind of replaced a lot of their Microsoft-based infrastructure with Linux-based infrastructure. And one of the motivations over there at the stage was they had various communication channels for the users to interact with, uh, anything from FTP servers, email servers, web servers, um, like news servers. And um, you sat with this accounting problem where if, all the users of these platforms needed to utilize these various channels. You had to have a separate authentication module in each one of the, the software like packages you used. Mm -hmm. Now, if you're dealing with a proprietary vendor, you end up having to be at the liberty or mercy of them to actually include integration and updates for that to happen. Because at that stage, we didn't have um, like the prolification of web standards, um, like uh, communication, RPC or REST-based interfaces. So each component of software that you dealt with had its own proprietary way in which you had to deal with it. And there were a lot of like Corba, um, SOAP, a whole bunch of these yeah. other technologies that came along to try and standardize it. Um, but on the open source side, you didn't really sit with this problem. So what I could do is I could kind of like take a version of MySQL at the time, and I could develop custom uh, kind of like extensions to each one of those communication channels to leverage MySQL as like the unified authentication or account management store uh, without being at the mercy of one of these proprietary software vendors. And for something like that, the, the rule of thumb is, if you have a look at something like the, the G, GPL, um, uh, license is that any contribution I made would have obviously been funded to the benefit of the company, needing that as a requirement within their software solution stack. Uh, but you'd also be contributing back into the greater good of the community. So in this particular case, like a, a full-time job 
actually funded the contribution to the, the greater good of the community. And I also see that kind of thing happening within kind of like um, the space we're in at the moment, but, but some kind of jump the gun in trying to monetize those components through proprietary or some vendor lock-in of sorts, uh, trying to get kind of like a network effect going for a smart contract or a registry that is under the full control of the deployer of that contract, instead of trying to identify what the opportunities in and around that might be. Um, I kind of see a pattern very similar to that. I see what you're saying. Like like what you just described in terms of um, the open source Linux, like you changing out boxes from Windows to Linux back then was um, kind of, how do I want to say this? Paid to like like you said, you were paid to contribute back to the open source community without having a lot of restrictions, um, and it gave the it gave the ability of people to provide services the way they want to without having to do all the complications of vendor lock in, and that what what that enabled was kind of the further enabling the free movement of information and and kind of the way we built the internet today, and then adding more services that other people could use later on down the line through enabling a certain business to run its services better and more freely. Um, and what we're trying to do now with a lot of the systems now is the same thing, but with money is to enable the free movement of money or value digitally. Um, but you're saying the way it may have started is not as, is, is not that same situation where you come in and make something that's generally, generally useful for the public for anyone to do being paid by some specific company, but actually like um, siloing some of that value to the creator of it, much more like what Windows would do with it when they built something back then. Like, can you can you name names? Can you give an example of someone who has done this or or or, or like a project that that lends this way? Yeah, I think um, in particular, you know, maybe not giving, but but I can go on general examples. Okay. If you have a look at something like the Bitcoin protocol, you're obviously sitting with the network and you're sitting with this um, kind of asset that incentivizes the securing of the network and also gets transported ar around the network itself. So the consensus rule that govern that whole ecosystem is kind of like a community contribution. Everyone has to kind of like buy into it and the chain with the most proof of work is obviously the dominant chain. Uh, if we have a look at like the Ethereum side, we've got a very similar scenario happening over there. And deploying a contract on there that is a utility, like a, a safe, uh, safe math kind of like library, is a common good to extending um, that network's capabilities for the greater good of the users of that network. If, however, let's say you deploy a, a ERC twenty token, um, which I fundamentally call like a digital uh, printing plate or printing, it's essentially for printing money, right? Yeah. Um, the issuer of that token, despite its, its um, conformity to the standards of the specification, does not include the, the foundational rights of excluding the confiscation of the asset, the pausing of the asset, the increase or decline of the monetary uh, kind of like policy, um, the upgrade policies, um, whether or not the issuer actually chose to open source the code for that, uh, which which is more fair, at least the users of that have the option to to kind of like audit it. 
but you do have instances where some of these contracts get deployed. The source is not made available, but because of the terminology, people just take it at face value that it inherits the same properties that you see, like let's say at the base layer. Um, and I think a lot of uh, kind of like deployers of those contracts are the first level um, beneficiaries of the consensus rules and the users of those tokens aren't always made aware of the fact that their privileges have been revoked because they are now users of other people's applications on top of these networks. Um, uh, they're various other kind of uh, be that decentralized exchanges. Um, we actually have a scale through which uh, you can go from uh, centralized exchanges to decentralized exchanges. Um, and we're obviously focused more on the atomic swap side of things. But a decentralized exchange, depending on how it is deployed, is essentially a decentralized intermediary on top of these platforms. Uh, if you have a look at like an Ether Delta yep. uh, or any of those kinds of exchanges, essentially the deployer of the contract gets to decide what goes in there, uh, when does it get shut down, how it gets managed yet the perception of the users of these systems are that they are still first-class consensus citizens, which which is not always the case. Well, I agree with that. And that's heavily dependent upon the rules of the of the smart contract system, like, like you said. I mean, in, in any case, any smart contract that sits on top of Ethereum is going to be a sub-community of the Ethereum community itself because it's additional rules, which means additional constraints on whatever the foundational constraints exist. And because of that, depending on those rules and constraints could alienate that sub-community pretty far away from the from like the original Ethereum community. And I guess your example of the public goods, things like safe math, doesn't, doesn't move very far away from the original community. Where other things that create a bunch of rules that give the administrators of those contracts a lot of powers alienates them a lot so and, and there's and there's a i'd say a balance there or not a balance but like it's not it it's not binary it's not one or the other no, and it's, it's definitely it's definitely a scale and and i think the scale is not only centralized to decentralized but like we say right it's i think it's a two by two where you have to have you know where do you sit on the centralized and decentralized and where do you sit on the intermediation or disintermediation yeah. okay that's an, i guess that's another like vector to think about another another degree of freedom to think about outside of centralization and decentralization. That's right. Yeah, we we definitely see like the the decentralization part is the architecture, um, and like you say, any deployment of a of a contract, let's say on an existing consensus platform, might choose to reduce the actual rights you have from, from the base layer. Um, sometimes the terms, though, seem to be synonymous with censorship resistance, and the deployers or users of these contracts aren't necessarily aware of their rights being revoked, um, despite the code sometimes being available. Um, we saw a lot of praise for decentralized exchanges, but it was only up until the point um, where uh, transactions are censored. Uh, exchanges are shut down, that people start realizing uh, how far they have been 
removed from the base consensus rules. And that's just something to be cognizant of whenever you deal with these systems is at the base layer, you have certain rights, but the more you move up on top of that and use other people's code, you need to be aware of how your rights might be imposed uh, upon based off of those. Yeah, but how can, how can a regular user, how can we expect regular users to understand that? These systems are getting pretty complex. Um, it takes a specific type of knowledge to understand how those rights are being removed. And to, to think that marketing will go ahead and do that I think it's a pretty it's a pretty bold thought. Well, yeah, I, I, and it's a, it's an interesting dilemma, and I think um, it's like with with any anything else, right? Um, if uh, your wife loses a ring down the uh, kind of like kitchen sink, she's going to believe that the ring's gone forever, right? Uh, yet, if her husband comes into the room, he might know that there is a pipe connected to the bottom of this, and he can maybe salvage it by having a look in the pipe. Uh, but as soon as it's gone through the wall, uh, he might need to get a more skilled individual involved. So building a relationship where you actually have a network of individuals to which you could outsource uh, this kind of like... Um, know how and demystify that magic uh, that black box is obviously an option to pursue but it's also important that the core technology does not discriminate uh, towards any person and prevent them from understanding what goes on within that box and i think having the actual opportunity to pursue and understand that further without any roadblocks or somebody standing between you and uh, understanding it is a freedom we all have and something we, we might choose to take up. But definitely it's not practical for, for uh, high level users to perhaps go down that route, but there are options they can pursue with uh, perhaps more technically inclined people. No, and I, and I, and I think that I, so that's, that's very true, Alex. I, I also think that at the end of the day, we have we have to build a better product, right? I, you have to you have to we have to focus on the things that this intermediation provides, right? And and that is I th I think Corey, you mentioned it before, and you hit it in, in the nail, yeah, you hit the head in the nail, which is we have to open up the silos of, for example, in our project, it's liquidity, right? And so when you have a, a company that sits in the middle, that means that everything has to go through them. That means that they they're probably uh, required to comply with uh, with certain regulations in certain countries that uh, might block certain users from using it, uh, and and that will prevent that. What tends to happen then, in, in you know, if you look at different examples in in history, is, is that only the developed countries and the elite, you know, uh, you know, the pe people or users in those countries tend to get served because those tend to be the most profitable people. And so centralized companies will focus on serving those users. Uh, but if we can de-silo, you know, and, and remove ourselves from the middle and really create, you know, these, these standardized and shared, for example, liquidity pools in our case, then that creates a much, much more depth, right? And it creates a lot more uh, possibilities for people uh, to, to enter into this digital world, into this economy that uh, could not before. And so, yes, it, there's, a, there's a matter of education. Uh, but I think the, the 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 definite way we win this is through building better products at the end of the day that do things that we couldn't do before in, in silo of natures. Yeah. 
Uh, well, and not just to do that, is to do it in such a way that stay true to the, the value. Because if I take the example again of the free and open software movement, MySQL at the time might have been open source, um, but you only really gain the benefits assuming you run an instance. If e Even if a bank or somebody had to use that, sure, they're using open source software, but it's not your instance. And the same applies, like uh, the, our approach generally with the technology is to keep the actual utilization of the system to the transaction level uh, so that they still inherit the same consensus benefits of the underlying system. Uh, whereas if you deal with an intermediated like or decentralized intermediary, that's kind of like dealing with an open source platform, but somebody else's instance of it, if that makes any sense. So it's yeah. a very, very similar situation. Yeah, I and mean, it's that's it's you can use open source software to enable a centralized environment if you want to, depending on how you make that instance. So that like the creation yeah. of the creation of the tool can be done with the same ideology of the base layer, but if it's not deployed in a manner that's consistent with that base layer, then you can still pull things away from it, like like we talked about earlier. Yes. Yeah, because I mean, in terms of um, if we if we have a look at atomic swaps, the only two participants involved in an atomic swap are the two parties exchanging the funds. And essentially, the function of exchange is mere expression of a transaction from both parties' side. Whereas if you deal with a decentralized exchange, you have that same scenario, but the facilitation of the swap is being taken care of by a third party's instance of the exchange itself. So that is kind of like, are we using our own MySQL instances between each other to share data? Or are we connecting ours to a third parties to exchange information? Sure, everything is open and auditable, but which rules are now imposed in the engagement and why do we add the third party into the equation? Can we develop solutions where the third party is actually removed from the equation and still sustain the same level of usability and um, ease of use to the end user without putting them at the third party risk. And yeah, and I, and I think that we'll, we'll see atomic swaps in very similar in a very similar way to what we saw with HTTPS that, you know, you, users don't necessarily need to understand HTTPS, but it allowed uh, for you know, let, let, let's give an example, credit card information to, to be sent and processed, right? And so now we could pay in the internet, right? It's, it's still broken and has flaws, but it, it, it allowed for the explosion of e-commerce without the users necessarily understanding it. Yeah, I definitely agree with that. And and that analogy is being useful. So like, I'm, I get how you feel about the space and where it needs to go. Uh, what What is the quality and how does it help this? Yeah, definitely. So I, I can give a little bit of intro and then uh, Alex can take it further. So ba basically, you know, what I think we've been talking about it throughout this entire conversation, right? We see that Bitcoin, you know, in, in, it basically is inherently free of custodial intermediation and, and, and it allowed for two parties to interact with each other. But when you look at other financial primitives and applications, like, for example, exchange, uh, we still haven't gotten to that point. Uh, we still have uh, intermediaries that introduce risk, cost, friction, and more importantly, they silo the available liquidity. And so they silo different participants in accessing the network. And so what we're trying to do really is what Bitcoin did to money, 
which is remove intermediation, we're trying to do to exchange and other financial application. And so what we're building here is, you know, a peer-to-peer -peer censorship resistant, borderless, all, you know, all, all the very essential values. And we're putting that to building an alternate financial ecosystem. And so we have three main parts to what we're doing. The first one is a base protocol for cross-blockchain development. So where we simplify interacting with multiple blockchains at the same time. Uh, and we use that to specifically for financial uh, applications. And so we, we have our, our first product out, which is a atomic cross-chain swaps application where users can uh, d directly between themselves have a, a you know if, if I have Bitcoin and you have Ether or a, or a different cryptocurrency we can exchange without the need for intermediation without a third party uh, and without the risk of one of us stealing the other person's money right and so when you usually exchange you have the problem of who sends first and that's why we created institutions because we have those institutions that allow us to say you know Simon has this money, Corey has this money, I'll allow that transaction. So what we're doing is building the technology so that we don't need that trusted third party anymore and we can have a, a transaction that allows us to exchange uh, without any sort of counterparty risk. Uh, and so that's the, that's the first step. Right now we have a settlement application live uh, for people who want to do these cross-chain swaps. Uh, we have a few other projects that are being built on top of uh, our chain abstraction layer or on, on top of our protocol, like for example, Atomic Loans, which is building a protocol for decentralized, uh, sorry, for disintermediated lending. So for minor Bitcoin miners that want access to stablecoin loans for operating expense to hedge against their operating ex expense, uh, they're doing that. Uh, and, and yeah, so basically creating an alternate financial ecosystem built with the right foundation. So no intermediaries uh, and, and with, with more accessibility uh, and, and broader, uh, broader access, I would say, to different blockchains to, to more liquidity. <laughs> I, I don't know if you want to add anything. Yeah, just to side note, I looked at your website and I love how there's multiple instances. It says 100% ICO free. Like I'm assuming, I'm assuming that's because you're trying to um, maintain those 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 values you've been talking about this entire episode of not trying to extract too much value at the protocol layer. But it, but yes, but it's not even about extracting value, right? It's about ma making sure that we can build this in a way that is aimed for the long term. If we if we really think about what we're really trying to achieve which is open accessibility of, of, of financial of, of financial inclusion of financial of a financial ecosystem that we can't we cannot start by putting our token in the middle especially because it's not necessary we we have the technology to for example swap between bitcoin and ether without having an erc20 token in the middle and you saw we were seeing that a lot with for example 0x and uh, you know other other decentralized exchanges that created a token and they realized very, very quick out of the gate that their token was absolute. Not only was it not necessary for the transaction, but it was actually a hindrance and it created a lot of friction. How does it do this? Why is it? How, how is it? How is it different? Like, how is it capable of achieving this um, where other people seemingly were not able to? Yeah, so I think it's it's not something new 
uh, out of liquidity uh, where any of this came up. Um, it's based off of early writings on like the Bitcoin talk forum uh, around atomic swaps. An uh, 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 early proposal was uh, from a guy called Tier Nolan. Um, and this was prior to having various like uh, time locks and hash lock functions uh, available on the chain, um, which now subsequently being available um, have kind of even further optimized the process. Uh, there are various shortcomings within, um, let's say, BIP 199, which is the hash time lock contract specification on Bitcoin. Mm -hmm. uh, it forms the foundation for how a lot of uh, transactions on Lightning for locking up funds work. Uh, we use them for atomic swaps. So essentially what we did is we developed a compatible standard on Ethereum, which is 100% compatible with BIP 199 called ERC-1630. It essentially uses the same language um, across the two chains so that we don't even need to include, um, which a lot of other crowds are doing as well, is trying to create this blockchain of blockchain scenario. Um, but we believe just by having the common language, as we saw with the proliferation of like SOAP, web, uh, 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 kind of like REST-based web services, is by pure merit of talking the same language, you could integrate these systems. So we've gone that approach and just developed a compatible standard. And then essentially, because we have to talk to these various chains, um, we didn't want to sit with Web3 and Bitcoin RPC and Bitcoin JS Lib. I mean, you, you, you're just including more and more libraries into it as you keep adding chains. Uh, the team essentially decided, cool, we've now got these two base standards. Let's build a chain abstraction library on top of this, which is very synonymous with how uh, we dealt with database abstraction. Uh, so you write your code once and you tell it, are you talking to Oracle? Are you talking to MySQL, yep. Microsoft SQL? Um, and this uh, library is obviously completely open source. Uh, the team has exposed it under a project name called uh, Chainstack.js. Um, and then we built two applications that utilize this essential like chain SDK, uh, which includes our front end for executing atomic swaps, which is essentially a atomic swap wallet with the primary function of focusing on the workflow for those standards or those transaction types. Um, because of the inherent interactivity issue we have with atomic swaps, however, uh, we've also built another system within Liquality, which acts as an automated participant in the network and can act on these various kind of like queue points in the swap. And you can also kind of like host your assets with it online um, to act on your behalf. So it kind of like automates uh, the process uh, as opposed to having to manually sit there and deal with the wallet. Um, and that's kind of how our stack is built from the ground up. Yeah, it's really cool. I can see that. It's basically, hey, they speak this language. Let's speak this language and add to it. Um, but then let's build libraries that help people deploy, use, and interface with it. Um, where can people learn more or um, start using it? Yeah, so yeah sure. So uh, go for it, Simon. Go. Yeah, so we you can go to liquality.io. You can join our Telegram and the, the liquality Telegram, which is on the website as well. I would encourage everyone to check out our GitHub. Everything we do is open open source and free, uh, and so go go ahead and you know de deploy your own version of the swap. Go swap. Uh, we're starting. Uh, we're launching this week a new release which enables avail in instant liquidity. And so up until now, it was purely a settlement platform where 
two people that found each other elsewhere could go here and remove the counterparty risk from their transaction. Uh, but now, basically, uh, we're, we're enabling people to become market makers uh, in the platform and profit from their idle assets uh, by, by, you know, uh, putting liquidity into the network and, and providing swaps. Uh, and so that that's going to be a really important step, especially as we start getting into more into discovery and how you know discovery happens around price discovery, etc. Mm-hmm. So yeah, liquidity liquidity.io. Uh, we're on uh, our our main communities on Telegram and check out our GitHub as well. All right, great. And like one final question, we always ask um, any of our interview interviewees on the show is uh, in ten words or less. Well, I'll allow you both to, to to answer this one. In 10 words or less, can you describe blockchain? Yeah, sure. Um, it's a chain of blocks. That's <laughs> my, my best. I mean, the, the, I say that in the purest form because blockchain is, is only the data structure used to store the data. It does not express the things related to consensus, um, actual the transaction part. It's purely just the data store. It's a it's a it's a linked list data store. Simon, I'm, yeah, I'm I'm good with that answer, uh, but I will say a removal of third parties so that no one person can be in control. Yeah, it's it's fun. It's funny to listen to the the way those answers have changed over the years um especially during like uh because when we started it was only bitcoin so <laughs> we, we, we answered we started that question with like how do you describe bitcoin which has a lot of other assumptions associated with it but back then no one knew how to explain it so it was like long drawn out answers that didn't really make sense and then through the hype of icos and also like the blockchain not bitcoin hype with enterprise those answers changed and now it's gotten pretty basic and people seem to get the idea that "Quote unquote blockchain is just the data. There's so much more around it, and those pe- and how those pieces come together and make a huge difference on what the final product is. So I think you both kind of said it. It doesn't, it, it doesn't solve for everything. Surprisingly, <laughs> turns out it's not a panacea. <laughs> All right, guys, thanks for coming on the show, and I look forward to kind of uh, digging more into the product and uh, using it. Thanks, Corey. Let us know if you have any feedback. We, we'd love that. Thanks a lot, Corey.